0: sure everyone can be a part of it who wants to be a part of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm choking on my vegetable smoothie this morning. <laughs> it's one of those things, I, you know. I've shared this before, being on this journey of trying to take care of myself, and I start my day with this pureed thing of vegetables, and it's as disgusting as it sounds. <laughs> it just really is. And the program says, oh, eventually you're going to love this, and it's been like a year, and I don't, as I'm picking celery out of my teeth while I'm preaching, and then I watch the video, and what's that green thing in my teeth on the church online, but, so if you see me kind of doing this, it's not a Holy Spirit thing, it's a celery stuck in my teeth thing, and I just weirded out all the visitors today, so, (laughs) Today, um, we are continuing in our sermon series talking about becoming like Jesus. And last week, we really talked about the importance of love. We talked about the importance of love, and I'm going to be continuing that theme again today, talking about loving God and the evidence for loving God. Because it's very easy for you to say you love God. It's super easy to say you love Jesus. But the people around you will know you love Jesus, know you love God, not by your words. They will know it by your actions. You can say you love something as many times as you want. But if your actions show the opposite of that, your words are completely and totally meaningless. So that's why love is such a crucial p- part of the Christian faith, right? That's why I say repeatedly here, you know, from the front unapologetically and with compute, uh, complete honesty, how much I love you, how much I love this church, how much I love your passion for Jesus, how much I love your passion for the word of God, how much I love your passion to serve one another. And to work through the challenges that sometimes we face as a church, because life isn't always easy, and it's messy sometimes, but it's love that gets us through it. So I just want to say a quick thank you to one of our volunteers. I want to say thank you. I don't, she normally sits over there, and I don't see her this morning. I want to say thank you to Chris Oat. She is a huge part of our prayer ministry, our prayer room, and our hospitality team. And if you ever need someone to love on you, go talk to Chris. She is amazing at that. And she is just one of many, many volunteers here, um, just loving on people like Jesus did. Uh, last week, I gave a little bit, I, I kind of ruined my intro for this message last week. It's kind of funny. I try to write multiple sermons all at the same times, and sometimes the spaghetti gets a little crossed in my brain, and I said something in one message, No, that was for next week, and now I don't have a good opening for next week. So if you heard this story before, it's because I got my wires crossed. But um, world-famous uh, atheist Christopher Hitchens, uh, when he would debate and and go into these debates with Christian leaders he had a question that he would throw at these Christian leaders in order to knock Christians down a peg. He was very intentional in order to try to knock Christians off of their moral high horse. And he would ask them the question, what can a Christian do that an atheist cannot do? Because an atheist can love people. An atheist can run a food bank. An atheist could run a nonprofit. An atheist could run a hospital, could run an orphanage, could feed the sick, could care for the poor. And and what he does when he has this debate, he's trying to show the Christian and the world that us Christians who put ourselves on these moral high pedestals – He's reminding us, he reminds the world, oh, guess what? We're not perfect. We mess up. We have sin. We fall short sometimes too. But in trying to stump the Christian, there is one thing that the Christian can do that the atheist cannot. And it's the greatest commandment of the entire Bible. We read about it in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, where Jesus says these words, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus goes on to say that that great commandment of loving God is, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, has a part two, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And the entirety of this book is summed up in that small three verses. (laughs) Loving God with all of your heart. What is your heart? See, the Jewish people believe that it is out of the heart that your entire being comes from all of your actions comes from your heart. All of the way you behave comes out of your heart. And we're to love God with the entirety of who we are, of everything that comes out of our heart, right? Our soul is that, that, that eternal part of us, Right? When this fleshy thing is buried into the ground, the soul that is eternal, my eternal soul loves God completely. And then my mind, my mind is my will, right? This is where I make things happen. Like I shared at the intro of our service today, I had wonderful plans for the weekend and none of it happened. And despite all of my best efforts, I could not will it to happen. That's your mind where well, you're thinking and processing and making it happen. Right? So this is the entirety of who you are. And it all comes down to loving God. And again, we can say we love God. But we have to look at the evidence in our lives that the evidence of our lives is showing our spouse, our children, our colleagues at work, our friends at school, our neighbors. All the people around us actually know we love God because they can see it lived out in us. So I'm going to continue here in 1 John. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's, it's right at the very end of your Bible, so if you want to follow along, you can follow along that way. If you're here today and you do not own a Bible, I'd love to give you one as a free gift today. We have a stack of them here in the back of the room, so please make sure you grab that and bring that home with you. I'm a big believer that every family should own a Bible, so I'd love to give you that as a gift today. And if you're joining us at Greenbelt Online, just email me, Kevin at Greenbelt.church, and we will mail a Bible to you anywhere in the world as well. And so I want to read the entirety of 1 John chapter 4. It's 21 verses. I might pause a little bit as I read it to unpack a little bit, but I want us to kind of get this sense of what John the Apostle is talking about loving God, loving each other, and how the love of God impacts how you and I live our lives in this world. So let's let's read here together. First John chapter four. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, John, we've talked about this in this series already, that the church is dealing with this tension that there are What John calls these antichrists, small a antichrist, not big A. Oh, my goodness. End of the world. Antichrist. Okay. This is small a antichrist. These are people that are anti Christ. They are not for Jesus. And they've mixed their way into the church and they're taking people away from the message of Jesus. They're teaching something else. They're teaching, man, you don't have sin. You're amazing. There's nothing wrong with you. You're perfect just the way you are. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just put some money in my offering basket when it goes along later on. All these different things are happening within the church. So he's reminding them about these false prophets. And it continues in verse 2. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is even now already in the world. He continues, says, dear children, they're that spiritual parent pouring out into the church. My dear children, you are from God and have overcome them. Who did you overcome? These false teachers, these false Antichrists that are trying to dissuade them. You know, Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is where he's talking about. When you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Bible teaches us that that's when you become born again. That's when you become new. You're a new creation. Holy Spirit, third part of the Trinity, comes and makes you his temple. You don't need to go to a temple to worship God. You are the temple. You bring the full presence of the glory of God with you everywhere that you go as the temple of God. And that who is, he who is in you, not it, not that, he who is in you is greater than him who is the him in the world. That is your spiritual enemy. And the spirit in you is greater than that spirit out there. It says, they are from the world and they therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, talking to us about the, the apostles. But, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us, doesn't listen to the teachings of the apostles. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood, guarding us, guarding our minds, guarding our hearts, so that we're truly listening to the proper spirit. It continues in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. What does that mean, atoning sacrifice for our sin? Is that sin, this thing that's in our mind, that's in our heart, that makes us want to go our own way, whether that's pride, whether that's greed, whether that's lust, whether that's anger, whether that's judgment, whether that's gossip, whatever it is that creeps into our hearts and our minds, that has to be paid for. Because God is holy and God is just, but God is merciful and God is love. And so the atonement is that your sins are paid for, not by your sacrifice. Not because you bring a dove and a sheep to church and we sacrifice it and we smear the blood all over the wall. We don't do that anymore. Praise be to God. I don't think I could have been a pastor anymore if we were still sacrificing cute little lambs. I'd be like, it's like I'm a little too sensitive for that job. Okay. But we also don't, we're not atoned of our sin because we're religious and we keep the rules and we volunteer and we take communion and we put money in the offering basket and all of those things. The atonement, the payment of sin. Is because of Jesus. That's what this atonement means. Continue in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. And so, the big idea that I get from this text that I want us to kind of explore a little bit more and see how this applies to how we're living our lives is this. It's it's becoming like Jesus is a journey of growing in God's love. See, ultimately, that is the Christian faith. The Christian faith is becoming like Jesus is a journey of growing. In God's love, whether that's experiencing God's love for yourself, and you're drawing closer and closer and closer to that amazing love of God, and then how that love pours out of you and your love for others, your love for your brothers and sisters in the church, your love for people who don't know God grows like I say this all the time unapologetically I've been saying this for the 13 years I've been pastoring here if you are less loving today than you were last year as a follower of Jesus you need to really look at how you are following Jesus I get it there are seasons and sometimes things happen in our lives that kind of knock us off course for a little bit but those should be temporary. Your Christian journey shouldn't be, when I, became, when I became a follower of Jesus, I loved the Lord, and I loved the church, and it was just so amazing, and now I hate God, and I hate the church. That was the wrong trajectory. <laughs> it's supposed to go the other way. And again, it, it happens. Sometimes it happens. Stuff, life is messy. But this is the opportunity that all of us have to grow in God's love, to trust what the word of God says so that we become men, women, boys, and girls who love God. And the love of God pours out of us. He says in this chapter here, John the Apostle says in this chapter twice, he says the words, three little words that he says twice. And he says, God is love. God is love. He says it twice. And now we live in a culture today that says, well, because God is love, I can just do whatever I want, right? And and we could take this one little verse and give ourselves a whole lot of permission to do whatever we want because it says God is love. But we got to read the God is love that is written here twice in the context that John writes it in because there's parameters around this God is love here, It's not God is love, woohoo, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want. That's not what the text says, right? So we know that God is love. The word of God tells us that God is love. We experience God is love, but how does it play out? How does this chapter, what we read in here, help us understand God's love? How does it help us grow in God's love? And then how, how does it help us live out God's love? There's two quick things that I want to draw from this passage here today to help us in God's love. The first point is this, and it comes from the first half of chapter 4, and it's to test the Spirit. Test the Spirit. Now, this can get... A little wonky. This can get a little scary for some people. Some, there, there's, sometimes there's a lot of teaching when it comes to spiritual things and spiritual warfare and spiritual battles and, and all these kind of things. And, and I'm not going to go deep, deep, deep into that because that's not exactly what John is talking about here. He's not exactly, even though he's talking about these antichrists, remember the antichrist that he's talking about is small a antichrist. Plural. He's talking about bad teaching in the church. Now, he's not talking about, well, the pastor made a mistake on a passage, and now we need to drive him out with, you know, torches and pitchforks. That's not what he's meaning. He's meaning that this is like, there's a heart here. There's a spiritual thing at play here that they are intentionally trying to drive people away from Jesus. Right? And there's lots of them. They're all over the place. They've been at work in culture and in the church for 2,000 years, and they still exist today. That there are people, men and women, intentionally trying to draw people away from Jesus, right? And there's a spiritual thing behind that. Remember in John, he talks about that there's this kingdom of light and this kingdom of darkness, right? It's this kingdom of darkness that is drawing people away from the teaching that's saying that Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the truth. That Jesus is the life. That nobody comes to the Father except through Jesus. All the teachings of the apostles. When someone tries to come in and say something different about Jesus, that's what he's talking about here. right? So, so John, right? he's talking about what is the spiritual source of the teaching that people are receiving. There, there's a spiritual source behind every time I open up my mouth here. <laughs> Anytime someone steps up to this pulpit and opens up this Bible and speaks, there's a spirit behind it. This was, it was interesting during the, uh, right before the pandemic, I was running a a little class that a bunch of you were taking on, on, on how to improve in preaching. And we were going through this curriculum. And um, the guy told this story about how he was a church planter. And when he planted his church, he was all excited and did all this work. And the very first Sunday, he launched his church. The only people that showed up on Sunday morning was just his wife and his four kids. And there was no one else there. And it'd be very easy in that context to just turn around and say, well, let's just you know, sing a couple of songs and let's just go back home. It's a busy weekend. We're just going to do what we're going to do. And he actually said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And he got up to the pulpit and he opened up his Bible and he preached the word of God against any spirits or principalities in that place, in that city. And he declared that Jesus is Lord. Because there's always something listening. Whenever you open up this book, whether it's just to deal with your own heart, to deal with your own mind, to bring hope and comfort to your own soul, There are other things listening, right? And so we got to test these things. We got to be mindful of these things. And so this is what John is reminding the church about is that believers, we, we need to test the truth and the falsehoods, you know, coming from what they are learning, coming from the teaching that they are receiving, right? He reminds them that you have received the spirit, you have received the Holy Spirit, right? And one of the things that John teaches is when someone comes up, when an antichrist comes and says, Jesus isn't the answer, Jesus isn't the only way, the spirit in you goes, nope, that ain't right, <laughs> Now, John's not saying that the spirit is supposed to make you go and point fingers at all the other Christians who have a different methodology than you do, whether they're Baptist or Pentecostal, or whether they're charismatic or cessationist, or whether they're this or whether they're that. It's not what John's getting at in this text. It's about who Jesus is in this text. And so we have to test what is coming from. And this is one of the ways that you can test the spirit. (laughs) Because you want, I'm assuming, I'm going to make an assumption here. Maybe it's a bad assumption. But I'm going to make this assumption. I'm going to make the assumption that most of you are here because you want to grow in God's love. Is that a fair assessment? Is that a fair assumption to make? <laughs> okay, I hope so. Then why else are you here on a Sunday morning? There's other stuff we can get done, right? But we want to grow in God's love, right? So the teaching that you take in, whether it's, My sermon, other people's sermons, whether it's stuff online, whether it's books you're reading, YouTube videos, TikTok followers, I don't care where you're getting teaching from. This is how you can test the spirit of it. Is the teaching that you are taking in, does it help you love God more? Or does it help you love you more? That's a great way to test the spirit. (laughs) If you're listening to teaching that's saying, hey, you know what, Kev? It's okay to be greedy. You know, times are tough right now. You know, and, and I know, you, Kev, you believe in tithing and, and you're a tither. But you know what? Tithing's not biblical. I mean, it's a good guide. It's a good principle. But it's not, God's not, God will still love you even if you don't tithe. So you know what? You could really use that 10% right now. So just give it up. And I go, oh, praise be to Jesus. I am set free. I can keep all my money. Yes! I love this sermon. I love this YouTube channel. Who is this? I'm going to subscribe and like. And I'm going to become a member on his channel and give him $1.99 a month because he's letting me keep all my money. You see, when teaching makes you feel great about the sin... If it helps you love you more than loving God more, it might be worldly. I'm not saying it is, but it might be. That's the way you test it. Does it challenge you in God's nature, or is it affirming the nature of God you want to believe in? And the other way that you can do this is, does the teaching get you to love more or hate more? If any teaching that you are taking in is causing you to hate the church more. This is John's big warning. The big warning for him that the teaching that we receive should be building us up in loving our brothers and sisters. Right. And, and it's so subtle how this can play out. I remember a number of years ago when my kids were still little, we were camping. And, and you know, for those of you who've been here a long time, you know I, I despise camping. I, I, I hate camping. But my wife loved camping and my children loved camping, so I did it, you know, for them. And, and at the, one of the campgrounds we went to, they had a church service gathered. And I was like, great, we can go to church on the Sunday morning. And the minister got up there and, and he preached a message on how, summarizing his message, but he was doing the story where this woman, this non Jewish woman came to Jesus looking for healing. And Jesus said, I came for the Israelites first. And she said, well, even the dogs get the scrap foods under the table. And he goes, wow, what incredible faith. And he healed her. And the big idea of his message was Jesus is wrong and needs the church to correct him. And I jumped off of my wooden stool And I'm like, what? That's like that spirit going, Jesus is wrong and needs us as the church to correct his teaching. And everyone in the crowd was like, yes, that's so good. I love that. I've always believed that. Run away. Run away. If you hear me ever say anything like that, fire me. You have permission to fire me. I welcome it. Okay? It's subtle. It speaks to the flesh. It speaks to the sinful nature that wants to take us away from Jesus. If he can't affect our eternity, he's going to affect our influence in the world. Okay? So that's the first way. This is how we grow in God's love is we had to learn how to test those spirits of the teaching that we received. The second way that we grow, that we you know affirm God's love in our lives, is we have to be surrounded by God's love. You and I actually have to make the choice in our free will to actually put ourselves into position to be surrounded by God's love. Like I love this verse here. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, where God showed his love. This is how God, it's in verse uh, verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. See, so often we as the church, well, we're looking for God's love. Well, if, if God would just give me the job that I want, then, then that shows that God loves me. If God would just bring that boy or that girl into my life, you know, then God, that's showing me that God loves me. If God would just heal me of my illness, if God would just give me more money, if God would just give me a new car, if God would, if God, if my children would listen to me, all of these things, if God would, then that proves God's love, right? Now, those are all good things. And if God wants to bless us with that stuff, that's great. Because our heavenly father wants to bless his children. He wants to pour out his love that way. But God does not prove his love By giving you stuff, right? It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God's love is not proven to you by what you get. God's love was already proven to you by what you received. And you received Jesus, right? This is why we take communion together. Communion is the time when we remember this atoning sacrifice that John talks about. When we remember the body of Jesus broken for us. When we remember the blood of Jesus spilt for us. It's that act that Jesus did on the cross where God proved his love to the world. So do you surround yourself with that? Or are you constantly looking for what you get? We're going to take communion right now as a little pause in the message. And this is for if you have put your faith in Jesus for your sin, you are welcome to communion here. We don't, do communion classes or anything like that. Um, we believe that this is for everyone who has put their faith in Jesus. Exactly what Paul—not uh, Paul, what John says here in this text, where he talks about, you know, accepting this atoning sacrifice. That whoever believes this is made new and is welcome to communion. Now, maybe if you're here today and you're not too sure where you stand with Jesus yet, that's totally cool, and I'm so glad that you're here. Just encourage you to not take this right now. Save this for that time when you have accepted Jesus, right? Or if you want to accept Jesus right now, it's real easy to do. You say, Father, forgive me, a sinner. (laughs) Thank you that you showed your love to me by sending Jesus to die for me. (laughs) And if you do that right now, you're welcome to take communion So as we take this together, I just want you to ask yourself this question as you are remembering the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus that is spilt. Ask yourself, am I surrounding myself intentionally in God's love? Am I putting myself in environments where I can feel and learn and grow in the love of God? Or am I intentionally putting myself into places and environments that's squashing the love of God in me. And whichever those are for you, just take a moment and thank Jesus for the body, his body broken and nailed to a cross. There's like on the first little clear opening here, you can pull that out. And hopefully you at home have got some bread or some juice at home to take communion with us. But let's just take this in remembrance of God's great love that he sent Jesus to die for us. In the second part of your cup, you open it up. It's the foil part opens it up to access the juice. And uh, this juice represents the, the blood of Jesus that was sent. When Jesus was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he took a cup filled with wine and he said, this cup represents my blood, the new covenant in my blood that's being spilt for you. And so we take this remembering God's great love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's take this in remembrance of him. Becoming like Jesus is a journey of growing in God's love. And when you surround yourself in God's love, when you test the spirits and you surround yourself in God's love, you begin to see evidence of it play out in your life very quickly. What's some of the evidence that you see? Well, in verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. If, if you're constantly approaching God in fear. Oh God, I messed up again. Oh God, I'm no good. Oh God, please forgive me. If you're constantly approaching God in fear, you're not fully surrounding yourself in love. That yes, there's an atonement sacrifice that had to happen. But once you've accepted that, John is reminding us that there is no fear in love. We don't approach God in fear and trembling, even though we probably should because he's so majestic. We approach God as his children, as those whose sin has been paid for. We approach him in love and in admiration and without fear because it is our father who loves us, who proved his love for us in Jesus And then the other evidence of that, so you'll see fear disappearing when you approach God. You'll see fear disappearing as you deal with things in the church. It's one of the key evidences here. And the other thing that we see, and we talked about this a lot last week, so I won't go into it. You can watch last week's message, is loving God is evident in how you love the church. Loving God is evident. In how you love brothers and sisters in the Lord. Whether it's brothers and sisters here in Greenbelt Church, whether it's brothers and sisters in other churches across our city, your love of God is evident by how we love one another. This is why love is so crucial. And this is why love is such an important journey. This is why love is crucial that we understand that to become like Jesus, we have to embrace the journey of love, of loving God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind and our strength and loving, loving our neighbors, loving our brothers and sisters as ourselves. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful for the sacrifice of love that you have made. I'm so grateful that you have paid for my sin, that you have paid for our sin, that you have paid for the sin of the world by sending your one and only son, that he would go to a cross, that he would die for us to atone for our sin, that he would be that atoning sacrifice for us and that through his death we would live that we would experience abundant full life here on earth and that we would experience eternal life with God, the father forever. So Lord grow each and every one of us in love, help us to love you more, help us to deepen our love for you, deepen our love for one another. And may that love change our relationships, our families, our workplaces, our schools, our community, and our world. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.